listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Saxocentric, evangelistic, intentional. Hailed as a winning combination in every way, Deco Ensemble was founded by Sarah Marchitelli and Jacob Swanson in 2011, with the intention of sharing the saxophone as a concert instrument of wide-ranging capability. Critically acclaimed for their blend and precision, the ensemble has performed throughout North America and Europe. Presenting on concert series, television, and radio, the Deco Ensemble has collaborated with chamber orchestras, poets, dance companies, and ensembles in addition to all their saxophone programming. Since 2016, the Deco Ensemble has participated in residencies at Mercyhurst University, Idaho University at Moscow, and with the Neu Musik's Kompanistgruppe in Oslo, Norway, as part of their inaugural Pulse Festival. Well, good to see you guys again. You Obviously, too. we've seen a lot of each other uh, in, in the last um, in the last little bit. Uh, so we're gonna listen to some of your performances tonight um, of different of different pieces you've been involved with across your career. But I wanted to start way back at the beginning. So how did Deco get started? Sure. Um, so it's been uh, an evolution over the past, since 2011. We were in a really active saxophone quartet in undergrad, during our undergrad. And um, part of being so involved with new music now certainly stems from having done our undergraduate degrees at SUNY Fredonia. There's a big emphasis uh, on new music and on the ethos uh, community, which uh, Sarah and I actually, as performers, like not student composers at all, got to be on the e-board for. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, was, that was a huge part of our, of our undergraduate experience. So uh, undergrad pushes everybody away eventually. And uh, the members of our quartet, um, you know, scattered across the state and later the country. And um, we've, we've, we've done some quartet playing here and there since then. Um, but being uh, together and, and uh, our, the lives, our lives changing around us, we started to look a little bit more seriously at duo music and duo playing and other um, cross, uh, like cross instrumentation uh, music that involved and included the saxophone. Um, so we actually started in 2011 as a duo, Jake and Sarah, <laughs> which I think was, the Jake and Sarah uh, duo. <laughs> uh, it wasn't as much of a cop out as it as it kind of comes across, you know. Like it was really just at the time uh, we were playing all casual performance spaces and like uh, you know non traditional performance spaces. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, and uh, so we thought it was really cool at the time, but then we started getting some concerts where they said, oh, really, that's your name? Yeah, <laughs> the, um, we we were on very few series, like very few formal concerts, because we were just figuring out what repertoire looks like if you're too, uh, two uh, single-line voices playing mm-hmm. music together. Um, So we were finding our repertoire, we were finding our voice, trying to decide where we fit in in chamber music. Are we just a new music ensemble? Um, 
are we uh, just a transcription ensemble? And where do we fit in the middle of that? Uh, so like finding our branding and identity, uh, we, we played uh, several concerts as just Jake and Sarah and, you know, bookstores, cafes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a former teacher, especially of Sarah's, uh, Harry White, helped set a tour up for us in Europe um, in 2012. And um, I don't think he said it quite so strongly, but he sent a message to Sarah saying that our, our name was unacceptable for promotion. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so um, he set up this tour for us. Um, so Harry White is a um, saxophonist, former uh, alto player of the Rasher Saxophone Quartet, and he lives in Zurich and set up a, um, a, just a few dates for us in Zurich. And yeah, basically said, um, can you come up with something a little bit more professional? And the thing is, you know, at that time, um, we were, I, Sarah was finishing grad school. Uh, this would have been 2000 and, uh, 2012, the summer of 2012. And so Sarah had just finished grad school mm-hmm. and I was going into my second full year of being a band director, which I still am in that same position, uh, year 11 as a public school band director. Wow. And, um, and, uh, yeah, we were, we had really pretty packed lives. And part of that was finding, finding our voice. So when we went to, uh, when we went to Zurich and, uh, Germany, we had set up some concerts with, uh, uh, I, I, uh, Another saxophonist that, um, who actually did her graduate work at Fredonia, but she's German, um, Julia Neubauer. And uh, she set up some concerts for us in Zurich as well with her, or sorry, in uh, Southern Germany with her trio, Trio Sexissimo. Yeah. Um, so we, we did that little tour as the Water Street Trio. And when we caught, came home and we had duo dates, we said, oh, well, we can't very well be called the Water Street Trio for that. And we've already gotten the sage advice from somebody much uh, more established than us that... Um, that Jake and Sarah isn't a long-term plan. <laughs> um, so we 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 uh, dwelled for I don't know a couple of weeks, really thinking about what a name was or what a name for us would be, and then just decided it didn't really matter. We just had to pick one, and so we took the. Uh, uh, I love it. Yeah. So we thought, well, uh, our instruments are. Uh, were made during the Art Deco period and they have this engraving on them that matches and it's Art Deco. So we'll be the Deco Ensemble. And um, a very small amount of Googling showed us that there already were a couple of those. So we we leaned into wordplay and we became the Deco Ensemble anyway, but using Echo uh, as the wordplay for Deco. Got it. Yeah. So can you talk about uh, like that process of finding your voice and finding repertoire for for the duo because you know on your uh so Jake and Sarah put together a concert a, a virtual se- uh, concert series on YouTube this past summer during the pandemic which we will talk about but it seemed like in that concert series you guys had you guys had a little bit of everything you know you had Pieces that were written for you, pieces that were written for other people, pieces that were transcriptions, arrangements. So, how uh, what what was that process like? About you know finding where is the saxophone duo music? Yeah, that's um, you know, and that's the question that 
I think, especially to Sarah's frustration, <laughs> I think we're asking ourselves all the time mm-hmm. uh, is is finding that finding that identity. And so uh, we're very excited to be part of the adjective performer, composer, performance partner uh, uh, program. And when uh, we were asked a couple of times, okay, a few short words to describe your music or a few adjectives to describe what you do. And my goodness, that was was kind of a heavy lift. How do you sum it up when you've, it seems a little bit like you've thrown everything against the wall. Uh, just to see what sticks. But uh, looking back, we've been at this for 10 years now. This is year 10 of Deco Ensemble. And um, in finding our voice, we've we've really leaned into that sort of uh, evangelizing for the saxophone, for the case of sax, that the saxophone is this uniquely expressive voice in music production. Um, and we have a really wide repertoire that includes a lot of new music uh, for sake of having had done this for 10 years, um, but also a tremendous amount of transcription. Um, and living in upstate New York, as we do, uh, we spent really a lot of our careers playing in non-traditional venues. Um, we've done some very typical residencies, uh, some being saxophone-centric, uh, others being new music centric. Um, but, you know, we've also played in bookstores and some art galleries, cafe gigs, and a lot of interesting community spaces. Cemeteries. Cemeteries. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cemetery tours are big in uh, this part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we've, had, we've had more than more than one cemetery on our venue. And, you know, two of my, like most cherished concert experiences have been uh, at Cafe Lena and Hall Walls at Babeville in Buffalo. Those those two venues, are, I mean, they're, they're nearly completely disassociated uh, from chamber music or, or new music. You know, it's a couple of folk venues, but with so much history behind them. Um, so we've, we've really tried... I think it's the uh, it's the educators in us, both Sarah and I being uh, very like very passionate about music education, and um, you know uh, Sarah teaches at City Fredonia and also Community Music School Infinity Visual and Performing Arts. I teach at Gowanda High School and uh, Community College nearby Jamestown JCC. Um, but that it's really the teacher in us that we have worked so hard to frame new music and uh, transcription in ways that complement each other on a program and, a, and in ways that invite the audience to be part of uh, be part of the, the music making in a way that is, is du- directly actively engaging. So as far as um, as those concert series, uh, really the biggest the biggest stretch for us from what we have done for so very long over the last 10 years and moving it to online from our home was learning the tech hurdles to it. Right, uh, yeah. Neither of us are particularly computer savvy. 
And if anyone saw our second live stream concert, you will know exactly what we're talking about. Um, you had a chance to see it twice. We st yeah, we started um, a half hour late, and then um, because of that, we did a, um, a reprisal on uh, the next day. Yeah, they were never really uh, they were never really the same. But uh, there were eleven concerts in a row uh, each week, 11, 11 weeks in a row of about forty five minute programs. Um, all of unique music, which I felt really great about. And um, as we moved into summer, we decided to halt a little on that um, just because we had sort of covered the ground we felt comfortable covering with a, a week's preparation in between each concert and focused on... Music videos. Yeah, and <laughs> recording a piece, uh, recording one piece at a time, to live live on YouTube for, uh, from here on out. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like the concert series, even though you you claim to not be tech savvy, I was super impressed. <laughs> like second concert notwithstanding, but after that, <laughs> like like I was I, I was really impressed because you know um, at, around that same time. Uh, the adjective, uh, some of, some of the other adjective composers and I, we were you know doing these Corona Tones podcasts where we would just get together and talk, and you know it really had no purpose other than just we were all lonely and you know we wanted uh, some place to vent, and it's well if if we're doing it, uh, we might as well record it, so that kind of thing. But one of the things that we talked about. And I, I fell on a particular side of this. Someone like Garrett Schumann and um, Jamie fell on another side of it. But I was really not satisfied with like online concerts. And it's it, it was mostly due to sound quality. Like everyone was just like going in on this. is like, oh, we're going to have a Zoom concert. It's going to be amazing. And it wasn't. Yeah. And it's like everyone spends so much time like making sure the video is like as good as it can be they they forget the audio and i've been i was actually part of some of those uh zoom concerts where it's like why are why are we doing this like it doesn't sound good you know and then i you know i started going weekly to your concerts and i was like holy crap what are they doing it sounds amazing you <laughs> oh, know thank so, you oh, thanks <laughs> so so i i think you guys should be really proud of the concert series you put on and um i'll, I'll I have more to say about this later, but uh, I, I think it was I think it was great. You know, so, that's really kind of you, and I, I just think it goes back to you know there's there is a scrappiness to Deco Ensemble. Uh, we have made a career of playing uh, playing non traditional music in mm -hmm. non traditional spaces to non traditional audiences, and it's really been working for us. And so, if it was just learning that. If it, if it was just learning that new piece, one more tool to have in the box, uh, yeah, that's one. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, you know, talking about the non-traditional venues, you said some of your favorite, um, some of your favorite like concerts, ex concert experiences have been at non-traditional venues. I totally agree. Um, when I was in Houston, uh, I, we did two shows. Uh, a couple composers and I got together for a concert, and then I did my own like solo show at this uh, at this venue, and it was called the Orange Show in Houston. It's like this outsider art 
maze of a place. It's all outside. And we, my wife uh, worked for the, the woman who ran the nonprofit that, or, that owned this, uh, like, it's really an art environment, you know. Um, and uh, so we, we got access to do it. We did a couple concerts and um, I had this kind of like 11 or 12 piece ensemble that was like kind of the main part of the show. And then we had other things going on, you know, other, other pieces, but not only the people that were there, but also the musicians, like every single musician that was part of that show, whether they were in my piece or, or uh, my, my other composer friends pieces, they all said, this is the coolest concert we've ever been a part of, you know? So there is something about that non-traditional space that, you know, there's there's so much baggage when you go into a concert hall and just like being at a coffee shop or being at being at a gallery or something like that, being able to have a drink in your hand. Yeah. You know, while you're listening to music, there's something about that that really uh, for the musicians and for the audience, maybe it really opens people up to accepting something completely new that they probably would not go to a traditional space to hear. One of one of the things that I find in non-traditional spaces or when we bust into spaces that are traditionally for other music making and, uh, and, and play new music, if, if there is an expectation on part of the audience or, uh, or on the part of the performer, um, removing that expectation by being a new sound in an old space or a new space on an old sound. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's disorienting enough for both the performer and the audience to heighten your, your senses and to uh, engage a little bit more fully, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. So... Let's talk about um, some of the pieces you brought um, tonight that we're going to listen to your performances of them. So I wanted to start off uh, with Jonas Skarud and his piece, uh, Surface Pieces. Uh, first off, I love this piece. Um, you know, I'd, I'd never so heard it before. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd never heard it before, but I'm so glad you uh, you sent it to me. So first of all, how did you get connected with Jonas and how did this piece come about? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's um, kind of a, a long backstory, uh, but the it starts in like 2008 or seven, 2007 or eight. Um, that very active undergraduate quartet that we were part of, um, and again, the culture of new music making that was so foundationally part of what we were doing as undergrads. Uh, I spent many a Friday night <laughs> uh, going through MySpace at the time, and I know. Oh, uh, I love MySpace. Yeah. Um, but going through MySpace and finding composers uh, who and just lis- just listening, um, listening to all of the new music making that was out there. I wanted to see what other young ensembles were doing, what slightly older ensembles were doing. I wanted to see where we should be aiming as 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 students for the the inevitable after 
uh, after college uh, experience. And there was a, there is a composer, Peter Edwards, who is uh, British, but living in Norway. He's a Ligeti scholar. Um, and he had uh, a MySpace page, uh, acoustic piano um, was the, the hashtag or whatever, the backslash, uh, his, the <laughs> name of the page was acoustic piano. Um, but it was anything but, and he had uh, this, arrangement he had done of Wayfaring Stranger. Um, and I believe, I know it was for uh, female voice and marimba. And I think there may have been another instrument, but it was really uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him a message. I said, this is great. Have you ever thought of writing for the saxophone? <laughs> and uh, he did. He wrote us a quartet that was just fantastic called Another Time and Place. And we uh, we uh, performed it. Uh, the premiere was at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, we're from Western New York. So I said Carnegie instead of Carnegie. Um, but <laughs> just in case, in case there are any, any uh, Western Pennsylvania, yeah, right, steel, yeah. steel city listeners, um, or is it iron city? Steel, steel city. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now uh, they're really offended I, as, as well. They should be, um, but, uh, but we did two concerts there as guests of Nathan Hall, um, who, uh, Nathan's a composer we've had a, a long relationship with and, um, is a dear friend of ours. Um, but he was finishing grad work there. And uh, and Peter came over from Norway to hear the premiere uh, of the piece and, and hang out with us a bit. And he said, you know, you guys would be just great for Neu Musics uh, as a, an ensemble in residence for a project. Uh, they have a culture of uh, hiring an ensemble the composers involved uh, write proposals, and then some of those proposals get funded and get performed. And they, I don't think they actually compose the pieces until um, right, until yeah. they, they get it uh, the the proposal approved. Um, but but he said you'd be you'd be just perfect for that. Um, so seven no. Eight short years later, <laughs> long after, long after um, the undergrad quartet had uh, sort of gone, you know, gone the way that undergrad quartets go, uh, and we were deco duoing, uh, we had maintained contact with Peter, who had graduated out of this program, yeah. aged out of the group. So the group is um, specifically to. Uh, uh, bring up young composers or not young composers, new composers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can only be part of it for five years and that gives you access to, uh, that gives you access to these specific grants to help launch, help launch your, uh, composition, composition career. Um, uh, so Peter had been long out of it and he was married and had a couple of children and he had a full time job at the university, uh, working, uh, as, as a Ligeti scholar. Um, uh, but he, had helped us maintain contact with this group he had been uh, a part of. And, and uh, it was a, a couple of years of planning, but, um, uh, but we, uh, 
Yeah, we eventually went over as their guests and we were there for a couple of weeks workshopping with composers and, and uh, putting on concerts. Yeah, so moral of the story, Jonas was one of the winners of this um, this competition um, and uh, we played his piece. Yeah, he's a few years our junior, um, but he was just a tremendously nice person and I, I absolutely adore his, comp- uh, his composition. Um, and he actually has been awarded another grant to write a solo work for me uh, in 2021. So that's nice. a, that's another re- relationship that we've uh, been uh, maintaining and advocating for for his music uh, as best we can through the saxophone and uh, really enjoying fostering that performer composer relationship. So this piece, surface pieces, kind of what's going on with it? Kind of give us give us a rundown of how this piece works. So developmentally, it's eleven short pieces tied together. So there's a little bit of uh, thematic motion throughout, and it's essentially a textural deep dive into the sound colors of the saxophone. So it uses, uh, I mean. Every uh, every extended technique we offered and then some, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but that's really the relationship that that we enjoy with composers. We want to we want you to uh, you the composer Rob, uh, but uh, the, composer, the royal you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One as the composer, we want them to share their vision of this of the soundscape. And we'll figure it. We'll figure it out. So you know the bisbiglianos and um, timbral trills and microtonality. He threw kind of everything in there, and then we so- we sorted through it at the time. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for me, the re- one of the I think aspects of this piece that I love the most are you you mentioned it's 11 short pieces that are kind of strung together you know ataka so it really doesn't feel like 11 pieces it actually feels like 11 sections of a single piece in yeah. a way and it and in that way it has this very rigid like block structure and i have to say i absolutely love that about it you know i do it, too it reminds me, you know, it's it's kind of Stravinsky-esque in that way, you know, like here's something, no transition, here's the new thing. And um you know, I don't I don't know if you've ever heard music by uh by Dan Trampty. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah. So I, I think uh what he does is kind of similar in that way, but um I just I just like pieces of music that don't do music things. Mm-hmm. You know, like to transition is a very musical idea, you know, I, I, I agree. And I really with Jan, with this piece in particular, which I mean, the recording, I was going through things and we had just come off of these 11 concerts and we were in the process of making some recordings. So it was uh, it was kind of tough to decide what to send along. But there's something about this piece that uh, to me, it's it's music you can see. Because yeah. of the texture, the textural quality of it, and because the two voices are in continuous interaction, but the linear, the linear respect from one point to another, um, it's it's not. Uh, 
yeah, it's not telling a story, but you can see it, <laughs> I think. Yeah. If that makes S- sense. Yeah. Sarah, like what what do you love about this piece? So uh, like Jake was talking about, I think that the primary idea behind the piece is exploring different textures. And so I think that he does that really well. And that each little, um, and Rob, as you said, like block of the piece mm-hmm. is so different. And I think that that so much speaks more to, I don't know, more to human emotion that like we go through these like different times and then there's not necessarily a transition between the next, between this and the next one. Mm -hmm. And they all, you know, it's not like they're all equally uh, of equal duration either. Some are like 10 seconds long, you know, Mm -hmm. there's one in there that's basically like the length of your breath. Yes. You know, (laughs) and, and, you know, and, and, and I think that, that's what makes the piece feel so good is that it's not kind of beholden to these, you know, four bar structures or, or eight bar structures or like, oh, it's got to be 15 seconds and then this, but it's, it's really like, it's, it's well thought out and there's just something about it that feels good. When I talk uh, like to my students or really anyone um, about like John Cage John Cage is a music that feels good and it's for a completely non-musical reason that it feels good because the structure was set up without considering like musical time, you know? So in, in this way, this piece is like, it's doing a non-musical thing and that makes me love it as music even more. Well, and it's a little bit also, I think of like, uh, like Vayburn, like it's no more, no less than it needs to be. It's just exactly exactly where it needs to be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I hadn't, I I didn't make that connection, but yeah, now that you say it, like that's, yeah, it, it is. And there's something so like, something so matter of fact about it that makes it kind of beautiful in that way. You know, it's, it's not track. Kind of like you say, it's not trying to be something it's not. It just is, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it, it's great. Um, yeah. Well, let's listen to it. So this is obviously the Deco Ensemble uh, performing surface pieces by Jonas Skarud. Thank you. 
you're still listening. Thank you. Do you want to stay connected with all the creatives at Adjective New Music? Visit our website at adjectivenewmusic.com and join our mailing list today. That's adjectivenewmusic.com. We're looking forward to sharing all of our upcoming exciting news with you. Before we return to this week's episode, here's a brief interlude featuring the music of Garrett Schumann performed by pianist Andrew Schneider. Feel free to sit back and enjoy this excerpt of Garrett Schumann's Four Little Pieces. Let's continue this week's episode of Lexical Tomes. Okay, so um, so this is weird, interviewing you about a piece we collaborated on together, <laughs> you know. Um, so we're, we're next going to talk about my piece that I wrote for you just this, uh, just this past spring called Flora. So I guess one way to begin would be to ask you what your initial impressions of my music were when we first got connected and then I guess how did that compare to what I eventually handed you was Flora this seems like something where we could get a wrong answer uh, <laughs> I don't think no, I, I don't think that's possible <laughs> okay uh, I mean to like uh, to be totally honest like we of course, found a lot of electro- of your electronic music, mm-hmm. um, bec- and and the wind writing as uh, as well the the flute and soprano saxophone piece we had listened to several times. So I, you know, we had every confidence in, uh, <laughs> in your ability to write for the saxophone. Um, uh, but that being said, uh, I think I am. First of all, we're totally grateful for this piece. And I'm... Um, and it's going to be a piece that stays in our repertoire for a long time, which we're really excited about. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely... And, it's, and I'm really excited about that, too. Yeah, so. good. <laughs> um, but uh, I was surprised by the, uh, the second and fifth movements in a yeah. very positive way. I, I just... Uh, there's um there's a tremendous amount of music there that is obvious if you play it for a while but is not you've done a beautiful job of allowing allowing the performer to uh experience the music without over dictating um and also you let me get away with some things in rehearsals so i decided uh, when when uh when we went to record the the slippy slidey dripping uh quality in those movements stuck um so so there uh for a lot of people who um i mean composers in general tend to be uh 
quite matter of fact about what they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it takes a certain trust uh, and we appreciate that to write something that has enough breath in it to, to modulate, to modulate the way that, that uh, those two movements in particular did. Right. Like to allow for interpretation from the performer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're working with uh, composers who tend to work with a lot of electronic music um, except for the technical glitches, technical glitches aside, it becomes pretty predictable and pretty reliable music to, to program and perform. Um, so to have something that breathes so well, uh, yeah, was a real treat. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think to your, to your point about like, you know, electronic music and that's kind of how you, how you, um, like your first impressions of me were, um, I've, there, there are those composers out there who are like only electronic composers. And of course there are those composers out there who are only acoustic composers. And some of, some of the like electronic composers I love the most are those, like they only do that. But then again, I, you know, there's still a ton of acoustic music that I love. So I, I really find myself like in the, like right smack in the middle. And, and that's, that's kind of where I always want to be because I feel like, you know, there was, um, I, I, w- I was doing this, this piece for low brass trio. And then we, we kind of, uh, we made it into a, uh, a wind ensemble and low brass, like soloist kind of piece. So it was all the same music. They were playing their same parts, but I orchestrated it out for, to, to have a wind ensemble behind them. And I remember one time after a rehearsal, the, the tuba player, he was uh he turned to me like afterwards and he was like wow you you really know how to orchestrate i wouldn't expect that <laughs> from you f- as as an electronic composer and i was like maybe it's because i'm an electronic composer sure. you know mm, like yeah. so so having like i never want to really step away from those two worlds and and with like in electronic music you get to be like really nitpicky and like work on something you know, forever to get it just so and just right. But then again, you know, I think expecting that same level from working with actual living human beings is, you know, that's, that's not, it's not realistic and it's not what it should be about. You know, when you, so the second movement you're talking about, I think it was, uh, you know, a couple days before the premiere performance, when you posted a link on Instagram, you were just playing Mm. your part, Jake, for, uh, for the second movement. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly right. Like, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know how that you saw into my brain from what I put on the page to play it exactly how I wanted it to be. But, but that's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about it is that, you know, and, and I mean, you didn't do that every single time either. And it, it, it lives and it evolves. And, and that's, that's, what's exciting about it. You know, playing a tape piece for the, for the hundredth time, it's like, this isn't that exciting. I mean, it's like, I, I'm glad other people are liking it, but I'm not getting anything from it. Yeah, yeah, that that becomes a little uh, not to get too tangenty, but it, like you know, with tape pieces, I always find like initially I'm just oh I feel like a rock star, and then uh, if you get a year and a half or something with it, you feel like 
am I just karaokeing at this point? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if this is cool anymore. Um, yeah. But, uh, but thank you uh, for uh, saying, saying that about, you know, our interpretation of, of your work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that the, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, beautiful orchestration things in there. And I, it's not that I was, you know, having listened to your compositions, it wasn't that I was surprised by your ability <laughs> as a composer. But I think, you know, grateful is the word I come up with, that you trusted us so much with such a big piece with such diversity in it. So let's turn and ask you, since we're talking about your music. Uh, oh. I know. <laughs> uh, let's let's ask, uh, ask you about this piece. Um, so you chose to write it for alto and tenor saxophone, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, you know, I'm, Sarah and I did several programs in the 11 uh, weeks that were all alto and tenor. Um, so I'm not sure if you had seen other voices before that, um, but writing for two voices that are both a little bit mid-tone and, uh, or mid-range, I guess, and uh, so close to each other, how did you, how did you as a composer work with those two so similar, uh, such similar voices that are still, you know, slightly different? Yeah, so I think... I think the very first idea I had when um, so uh, Jamie and Andrew um, ca- kind of put a put a message out to the adjective uh, collective and said, "Hey, you know, um, we're gonna we're, we're gonna form this partnership with Deco. Um, they're doing this stuff right now. They're looking for pieces like right now. Who who's interested? Who can do it? And at the time, like." I had I had a flute quartet that I was like really struggling with and you know at the beginning of the pandemic you know everything was being canceled and like we were we were looking at the future wasn't like, that is, the worst I'm sorry I don't mean yeah. to step on your toes I mean, no here, it, it really was the worst I had a fantastic March and April lined up for myself and it all yeah. went to hell um, yeah. but anyway, you know, it was, it was totally the thing of, well, I have no idea when this flute quartet is going to be performed in the future. I mean, it will obviously, but I didn't have the same kind of motivation. And then this, this, you know, your, your, uh, like offer to work with some of the adjective, uh, composers comes up and I'm like, this is what I need right now. You know, I need something that I can write quickly that's doable and that will give me like almost kind of immediate feedback whereas the flute quartet is just kind of at the time it was a little bit open-ended so I I once that once I made that decision to kind of put a pause on the flute quartet I immediately started having ideas for you guys and the very first idea was this kind of um this gesture where one saxophone would uh, play a fast like run of notes going up in a slurred fashion and then the other saxophone would they would meet in the middle and the other saxophone would do a very staccato um, thing coming down and that's the idea that really uh, permeates the first movement Um, so in order to make that happen the voices had to be pretty close to each other you know and that's 
what I think one idea that I've always been kind of fascinated with, and and you can kind of see it in my um, in a lot of my pieces, is that I like writing for two or three instruments of the same range because of how they can blend together into what you know not only me but other people kind of term like a hyper instrument you know so creating something where and I, and maybe this comes from my like uh electronic um uh ideas but creating something where you don't exactly know where things are coming from you know so like i have this piece for bassoon trio and it's like but three bassoons you know what what can you do with that that's weird but i saw it as an opportunity like oh i'm going to make this three-headed animal that sounds like a bassoon that can do all these things that a single bassoon could not so i think that was the idea that kind of took me maybe away from writing it for like tenor and soprano where there would be a a very uh, you know you have melody and you have accompaniment i didn't want to do that i wanted it to be you know, kind of integrated in, in a way that either one of you could could kind of have a main idea and then slip back into having, you know, a like a supporting role or a primary role or something like that. Well, mission accomplished. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that your piece does so very well is, um, and this is something Sarah and I uh, talk about talk about a lot in our programming because when we're doing all saxophone programming as two voices, there's very little opportunity for, uh, for harmony. Mm -hmm. Uh, everything becomes counterpoint. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, when you, when you have the, these two mono voices, um, your, your piece has such a, Busy is the wrong word because it kind of has a bad connotation, but there's so much construction that uh, that the interplay between the voices in many t- many times throughout creates uh, a bigger an effect of a bigger ensemble. Yeah, yeah, I think probably the fourth movement the the seagrass one mm-hmm. is is a good example of that and and that was that movement was um before i started writing it i, I decided i was going to kind of work with these um these these uh these pentachords and i wanted to make this kind of seamless flowing idea so i was working with okay i've got this set of pitches and I'm going to keep so many common tones and just change like one or two. So you get these kind of these waves of harmony that, that you guys are kind of activating either through trills or, or through, uh, through runs or arpeggios or, or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, well, and you know, full disclosure for uh, composer performer part partnership and uh, and working together on this, uh, we're very grateful for for you uh, for transposing that up for us. <laughs> oh, well, honestly, like I'm I'm so grateful that you you asked for that because most people would kind of just suffer through it and be like, oh, this is killing me right now, but it's what he wants, so I'm just gonna do it, and it's like. No, if it works easier, what was it? Just a step up? It was a step up. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. If it were, if it fits in the hands, a step up, so much easier. I want to know that because uh, I was I was having a conversation with my students um, 
maybe last week or something, we were looking at a piece together and they were like, well, why did the composer do that? And I, I, we kind of got into the fact that, well, some composers, they, they want to hear a little bit of the struggle you know, yeah. for the musicians, you know, they write it in such a complex way, not so that they that you play it perfectly, but that your attempt is actually what they're after. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I want to make yeah. the, the, well, inst- so the, for... the performer's job as easy as possible because they might play it again. If it's <laughs> yeah. like not so killer to them. Well, so for any any saxophonists or composers are, who are listening, the fourth movement, I think we're li- we'll be listening to this after we have yeah. the, this chat about it. Um, but uh, it was on a, a written C to written E flat in both instruments, uh, low C, low E flat. And uh, it just has the piece, the music in this piece has this wispy, wavy quality of just really swelling in in a way. And then, you know, floating up to these these high tones with some articulation and a little bit of uh, drip, drop, careless quality. Uh, and it, it's all meant to be pretty light and agile. And Sarah and I spent <laughs> several rehearsals just like trying to sound elegant down there. And we were just like, He'll be so much happier. This just goes <laughs> up a step, uh, which of course uh, changed the pitches from written D to written F. And so, yeah, you've got uh, uh, you've got a very attainable altissimo uh, lick in there, alto saxophonists. But um, but it's much, uh, yeah. It's just it it suits the it suits the character of the movement so much better. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for working. Well, that I, again, you know. Uh, I wouldn't not being a saxophonist myself. I mm. wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought about that. You know, I, I would. I would think that like, oh, it gets too high, so I don't want to. I don't want to push it too far. But I mean, obviously, you know, that that suggestion made the character come through so much more, and the, mm-hmm. it just it just kind of made it go. Um, so I guess I should like kind of. There's six movements to this piece, and it's it's called Flora, and each movement is kind of describing a different plant that is out there. So the order goes, um, Passiflora, they all have uh, their Latin names to start off with, and then I tell you what it really means. Um, so <laughs> Passiflora alata, which is the red passion flower, then Salvia divinorum, which is the sage of the diviner, which is a hallucinogenic um, plant. Um, Strelitzia reginae, which is the bird of paradise. Um, uh, Poseidon, uh, oh man, <laughs> I can't even say it. Uh, Posidonia Oceanica, which is the one we were just talking about, Neptune grass. Rothica miracodes, uh, which is blue butterfly bush. And the Inchino cactus grissone, which is the golden barrel cactus. So there was a specific reason why I chose these. I mean, a, a kind of overarching reason why I chose these plants. And it has nothing... It, well, it didn't have anything to do with them specifically. Um, the first one, I was looking for a red plant. The second one, I was looking for a purple plant. Because my initial idea for this was to do something with the color wheel. Like, that's how this all got started. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was helping my then kindergartner, now first grader, with a like art 
project that she had to do for online kindergarten. So she was supposed to watch a video on the, on like the color wheel and kind of like, it had a little bit of color theory in it. And then she was supposed to watch a music video by OK Go. And I mean, you know, their music videos are just like super like bold and, and it it dealt with color in in a really interesting way. So that idea of like color theory kind of was sticking in my head. And I mean, I could go back to my initial notes on this and I, and I think there's a note that says something about color <laughs> because I wanted, I wanted something to, you know, I, I knew that I was going to write short miniatures for this because we had talked about that and I wanted something to kind of group them together. And I didn't have that yet. And I was like, Oh, color wheel, like maybe something about the colors, but that, that just seems kind of like vague. I, I need something like specific and my wife, ever since we moved back to the States from living in China, she has gotten super into plants. Our house is filled with them. And she has, along the way, she has kind of taught me how weird plants can be. You know, they're basically aliens. Yeah. <laughs> um, they do things that, you know, we just don't consider. Oh, yeah, just cut this one off and stick it in some dirt and it'll regrow itself. It'll be fine. Roots <laughs> yeah. will come out of everywhere. It'll be great. But uh, so since I, since like that's been another part of my life, that's kind of where this all this idea kind of came from to to do it about plants and flowers. Um, but also each plant or flower uh, displays pretty prominently a single color from the color wheel so that's that's uh, super cool and what what a wonderful vehicle the saxophone is to uh to to musically uh depict all of those colors right yeah yeah so i mean i wrote this for you guys at a time when it seemed like i said that it seemed like there was only bad news Mm. everything about music was just evaporating and then you guys come along with this 11 like weekly concert series and you said you know like the biggest hurdle was the technology so where did this idea come from to like do these weekly concerts at a time when you know there were no concerts like why why did you have the the get up and go the drive to keep going when it seemed like everything around us was just hopeless well, I think part of it, uh, like you had said, uh, that you had things planned that then all of a sudden got canceled and we had that too. So there was just something about, well, we should be doing something. And we also um, really took advantage of the opportunity that um, not many chamber ensembles were quarantined together. So um, that felt like something a little bit unique and something that um, we should take advantage of if we had the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, there are, there are people on, we, we hear uh, both of these phrases quite a lot. I don't know how you live with somebody who does the same <laughs> thing you do, or what a blessing it must be that you live with somebody who does the same thing that you do. And I think that's, they're both true. Of course, they're, Absolutely. Uh, they are. But it seemed like we could either do something or not do something. And mm-hmm. because we were here and together, um, we wanted to do an online concert. And we thought, 
that, well, that seems like um, it's a, seems it's a big undertaking to do a whole duo program. So why don't we do mini concerts? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we aimed for just 30 minutes, a little check-in. Uh, we have uh, some, we, we have good friends all over the place from, you know, West Coast to uh, Kentucky to the eastern part of the state to Europe. Uh, so we picked three o'clock because uh, that made it not too late and not too early anywhere that, um, you know, people could tune in for a very short concert without it being a terribly big commitment and that we would just take on a handful of pieces a week, either things we had played before or had wanted to play or had been a long time uh, since we, we had played them. And then we really just, uh, we just leaned into it and we were very lucky to have have the opportunity to connect with so many people. Our our uh, average weekly view. The first one was um, first one was like uh, twenty five people or something, and then uh, by the middle of the series, we were having uh, like over a hundred views on on a, a week's concert, which like when you're used to playing bookshops and cafes, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and honestly, just meeting new people, uh, we wouldn't be here right now if not for uh, you as a composer and us as uh, players looking for an outlet during this during this time. You know, the, the likelihood that our paths would have crossed and that this, this piece would have uh, come to be is pretty slim um, because everybody's terribly busy, you know? You, yeah. have, you have commissions and we had concerts and... Um, and uh, it's a it's a tough time to feel lucky <laughs> uh, for anybody, yeah. especially if you're in the performing arts. But um, be you know be smart enough to try and uh, and and if you whether it's whether it's uh, putting on concerts in cafes or bookshops or residencies or in your own dining room, um, just trying to reach out and connect and share what it is that we care about uh that that was enough to make it uh make it a mission in itself yeah and i think the you know one thing that kind of i took away from from this situation uh of working with you guys is you know when that when that email came and you know i could have just as easily said Eh, I'm too busy. I don't feel like it. Blah 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 blah. But um, when I when I moved when I first moved to China, my um, my sister in law who had already lived there and was like we were crossing paths. She was coming back to the states. We were going over there, and um, she gave us some advice. And it was just say just say yes, you know, like whatever whatever uh, you know. Do do you guys want to go out to this restaurant? Yeah. Do you want to try this weird thing? Yes, I do. You know, and that that kind of mentality has stuck with me for a long time. So when this like, do you run? Do you want to write this uh, for this saxophone duo? Yes, I do, because <laughs> uh, because and and I'm you know I'm I'm so glad I said yes because it it has you know this this piece came about and this you know you know meeting you guys and and uh, this relationship that. Um, 
I hope is going to go on for a long time is like is just starting right now. So, yeah. And, you know, that's um, I think that I think that's so good. And partially like like in this time in particular, like this has been it had been such a great distraction because it Mm -hmm. was so easy to look at, you know, the spring and summer that and honestly into the fall that had been totally robbed from us that we had prepared for and worked for and booked. And, um, and so having a reason to do it each week, uh, and, and then through that meeting people like you and Sheree and, um, Because uh, Cherie's piece, uh, if you're listening, Cherie, it's coming. Uh, it really is. <laughs> uh, it's, everything's a little slower now that school's back in session, but it's coming. Uh, uh, like, just, it, it, you know, it's a battery. Uh, we were just recharging it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that, you know, yeah, just, say, just saying yes and, and putting it out. Putting it out there, saying yes and... Yeah, yeah. We should we should mention that the other adjective composers who either you've worked with before or are continuing to work with. Mm-hmm. So on the on the concert series, you played uh, th- obviously this piece by me, and then you uh, had a previous piece that Andrew Martin Smith had written for you. You had two, a, yeah, and and you also had uh, a piece by Andrew Cody who it wasn't written for you guys, but you kind of took it up, right? Well, Ulterior yeah. Motives uh, wasn't written for us, but uh, we had met, we had digitally become acquainted with his mm-hmm. piece. And just, you know, again, in finding our, because that piece is really old. I think that's 2012, uh, yeah. or, but, or 2010 maybe. Um, but uh, in finding saxophone duos and pieces we wanted to play, I saw a YouTube recording of it or something and sent him a message and said, you know, we want to play this. And then we had played it a whole bunch of times and we had programmed it as part of our uh, proposal at the Navy Saxophone Symposium one year mm-hmm. and posted about it on Facebook. And Andrew said, Oh, I'm here. And so, uh, so we went out, we went out for coffee and it was at that point we said, you know, we've played this piece probably two dozen times at that point. We're going to Norway and it's, uh, as part of, uh, it's as part of a composer collaboration, but we are deciding part of the program. We really love this work, but would you be, would you consider writing something larger? Um, so he wrote uh, consequences of our common good in 2016 for, for us. And we premiered that in Norway. Yeah. And then like you say, there's, there's going to be a new piece by Sheree Van Manen mm-hmm. and Jamie is writing a piece for you guys. Yes. Yeah, and we've also, yeah. We, and we've played her soprano duo crossed before. Yes. Right, and then I've yeah. played, um, um, we've both actually played her solo saxophone piece with no name. And mm-hmm. I've played a uh, 905 rush, 901 rush, the elevator mm-hmm. music piece. And also her duo for alto saxophone and bassoon. I, performed with her uh at the women's uh composers conference in oh, Hartford. strife yes and then garrett schumann is also um writing a solo work or you know i don't know how backburnered it is but we've had a couple of zoom meetings and i've yeah. i've uh i've played from soprano saxophone infant crying for him um <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, imitating imitating the the sounds that is uh is 
child makes. <laughs> yeah, his his brand new child. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, let let's just uh, listen to to this piece. So this is again Deco Ensemble performing my work, uh, Flora. Uh, score available at adjectivenewmusic.com. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll hear all six miniatures in order. Uh, Passiflora Alata, the Red Passion Flower, Salvia Divinorum, the Sage of the Diviner, Strelitzia Regina, Bird of Paradise, Posidonia Oceanica, Neptune Grass, Rothica Miracodes, Blue Butterfly Bush, and finally, uh, Echinocactus Grusoni, Golden Barrel Cactus. <laughs> Thank you. 
Let's talk, I mean, we've kind of delved into the past of Deco. What's the future? What are you guys, what, what are your plans? What do you, what do you, where do you see this going? Because it seems like it, it has taken on a number of different uh, configurations. You know, you've had collaborators that have been, uh, definitely you had your pianist friend who collaborated with you um on some of the online concerts so yeah. what's what's the future of deco yeah and uh, so our pianist friend um Allison Damato uh she will be continuing to collaborate with us um and actually by the time that this comes out i think we'll have already played a live stream concert with her um from Trinity Cathedral in Cleveland uh that's on October 7th uh, and yeah, and we'll, uh, continue, uh, well, I'm, I mean, to, to look back on, on 10 years, uh, it looks like a lot and I would have never taken all that on in, in one fight. <laughs> uh, so, you know, predicting the future of this group, um, I think our mission very much remains the same and that is to, uh, go forth spreading the good news of the saxophone and uh, what a flexible voice it is. Well, and we have some longtime collaborators that um, I'm sure we'll be working with again, including uh, including Allison, um, including uh, Catherine Peterson, uh, the soprano vocalist. Uh, she's uh, at uh, Northeastern Illinois State University in Chicago. And we just did a, the, our residency out in Moscow, Idaho. At, Moscow, uh, Idaho. Oh. <laughs> it's the, blame, I'll blame everything on a Western New York accent. <laughs> um, but uh, but the, uh, at, at Lionel Hampson School of Music, uh, that was with her and actually Jared Yaskew, who's a wonderful saxophonist, but uh, finishing his PhD in music theory at University of Buffalo. Um, and uh, Catherine, uh, I know we'll be continuing to collaborate voice and saxophone uh, with her, and I'm sure with our dear friend Michael Hernandez at San Jose State University. Um, 
and you know the the uh, the world is big. We are we are are here to collaborate. Uh, music the music ha- happens between the tones and the you know the the musicians grow when we share. And yeah. um, that's I think that the future is will be probably as amorphous as the past has been <laughs> and with the same same basic goal of of uh, sharing the sound of sax. So one thing in, in and I, I want to bring this up because it, it struck me in our initial like Zoom call to discuss, uh, you know, ideas for my piece and how we how we would start working together. Uh, one thing you guys said that um, that I was so appreciative of was that, you know, uh, you are not an ensemble that is like, you're not premier hunting. You're not like one and done. When someone writes for you, you want to, you want to live with it for, and, and, and honestly, that's what you, you've shown through those, through those online concerts, through the recording projects you're doing on YouTube right now. You know, you're, you're the, the pieces that, that you have taken the time to learn, you know, to spend, spend the effort and the energy, um, and your, your, you know, your performing energy, your creative energy, you don't want that to go to waste. And I, I, I just thought that was so, that's so refreshing, first of all. And it's, it's like exactly, you know, what we as composers are hoping for, you know, when we collaborate with performers is that they, you know, they will feel some ownership of this piece uh, that that they can carry it on into the future. And it seems like that is something like that's part of your mission and that you're doing. When you look back at the last 10 years, it does look like a lot, but it's been a decade. And the if you if you parcel those uh, composer collaborations uh, out over that amount of time, and the number of concerts that have happened in there, I don't think we've taken, we haven't taken pieces that we can't give 10 performances of, of at least, you know? And then there are other pieces that live with us for several seasons and years or go away and then come back. Um, you know, time is a punishingly finite <laughs> resource. And there's no ensemble that can, that can do everything. Um, and you see a lot of ensembles, young ensembles, not, I'm not talking about, you know, established groups, but you see young ensembles who try to, and, um, we're just, you know, uh, we, uh, we're, we're only taking, we're only taking on projects that, uh, one, we're passionate about. And then two, we, we know that we can see through to the end. So, um, Yeah. Uh, I think I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that that's something that composers find attractive and it's something we, uh, it, it's, it's been, that's been a constant since, uh, since our beginning of, uh, uh, beginning work as a duo, uh, yeah. especially, you know, like as students, undergrads, uh, working through, uh, new music organizations and whatnot, like, um, uh, well, of course, we we saw and were part of a lot of like student one and done type performances. But even uh, even this 
like the residency that we did in uh, Idaho with Ruby Fulton and her students, uh, we actually brought those pieces back here. And one of our students actually came to Western New York to see a couple oh, of performances, really? <laughs> which was great. Uh, but we, uh, we did that program out there. Uh, and then we did that program twice in Western New York as well. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of young composers, we've been their first, second performance. And mm-hmm. we're, you know, that's, I, we're happy. We are humbled and happy to do that and be part of that, be part of that work because that's, uh, that's, that's how new music survives, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like that's how we create a culture around new music um, that isn't disposable by taking care of those works and by seriously shopping them around to different venues and different audiences. And um, if you, just like those flowers <laughs> in your home and in your pieces, uh, you know, if you take good care of them, uh, you know, it's not so alien to if you if you can, it's not so alien to audiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so you brought up Ruby Fulton, yeah. um, and uh, we're gonna talk about her piece that. Uh, is for saxophone trio, voice, and electronics. And her piece is called The Meteorologist Receives More Letters Asking. And then there, there's, uh, there's more text about this. So um, tell us about this work. How did it come about? And how did you get connected with Ruby? Great. So, uh, like many, like many pieces, it has a long story. <laughs> Your piece has the shortest story of all. Of <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so Ruby was finishing her degree at American, I believe, um, and writing for Rhymes with Opera in Baltimore. Uh, and at that time, she had written a a piece after in, in the wake of. Uh, the Eric Gardner uh, tragedy called Mm -hmm. I Can't Breathe. And it was for electronics and tuba. And that was the same year that I was working on uh, commissions for my second disc called Wired, which is all electroacoustic soprano saxophone and uh, collaborations. Mm -hmm. And um, I had heard uh, several pieces of Ruby's uh, and... I reached out to her and I commissioned her to write this work called You, Me, and Pedro, which was, um, I, when I, all of the collaborations on there, I just uh, had said, well, I want to be able to perform it live and I want it to be acoustic soprano saxophone and uh, some kind of electronics. The rest is up to you. And so mm-hmm. each of the composers for that, that disc came up with the rest is up to you part. And um, she wrote Yumi and Pedro kind of in a New York counterpoint-esque way. It utilizes an entire saxophone ensemble, which I pre-recorded chunks and sent to her. And then she she put together and passed through a lo-fi filter and it creates this really groovy backtrack. Um, Or... 
uh, can be performed as a saxophone ensemble, which mm-hmm. um, the piece actually just had a, its premiere as a saxophone ensemble piece this year, which That's is cool. super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been I've been playing uh, You Mean Pedro since 2015, and um, sometime when it's when it's just us, I'll go into all of the details uh, <laughs> of, the, of the next partial story. But long story short, um, my good friend. Uh, Catherine Peterson, who's the vocalist we collaborate with, um, was interested in commissioning a composer to write something for saxophone and voice. And I had had such a positive experience working with Ruby. And I just knew that uh, having had written for opera and uh, having had known Catherine for a long time, I was like, this would be a very good fit. Uh, so, Mm -hmm. So Catherine really handled many of the details of that project. Uh, Catherine, uh, as far as the organizing, organizing the project itself, and then Sarah actually in organizing the, the logistics. Oh, like, of, yeah, the boring stuff. <laughs> Every team needs one. Plane tickets and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but basically, um, that project was uh, so re- it, that was such a rewarding project because Ruby uh, was modeling this relationship uh, between her and her colleague Al- uh, Alexandra Teague, um, who is a poet, and I think she's and, the head. Uh, yeah, um, English professor at University of Idaho, where Ruby teaches. Mm-hmm. And so they had partnered uh, Ruby setting Alex's words to music alex's students uh were working with ruby's students uh setting words to music so i just the culture of that school the culture of ruby studio was one of um there was just such it was a, it was really special there's a yeah. beautifully sensitive place where everybody was involved in the music making and everybody uh there there was a tremendous amount of working together, mm-hmm. and um, and so we were uh, we were out there playing her students' compositions, uh, and the student poets and composers were part of that, and and then playing this piece, which was sort of the focal point of of that project. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, when was this? A year ago, well, I don't know. time time doesn't exist anymore. But <laughs> at at a certain point, I was out um, in uh, at Western Washington University for a festival out there, and uh, my yeah. my friend Charles Halka teaches at. Um, Sorry, it's not Western Washington. It's Washington State University. Western Washington University is where my friend Charles Halka lives, and we were gonna. I was going to give a lecture at his place at his um, at his university, and then we were going to drive over together. But we actually stayed with Ruby. Um, so oh, oh no cool. way! Okay, yeah, I've, I've totally um, I've totally stayed in Ruby's attic. Um, yes, yeah, so for, 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 oh, yeah, it's very comfortable up there. Um, but yeah, but yeah, she, that's, she was, that's nice. Yeah, she is just like she was just so nice, and she has so much energy and 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 a warm personality. So. This this piece it it starts with kind of a more lighthearted feel, I guess, and then mm-hmm. it takes a dark turn. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what's the what's the story behind behind that? 
you know, what, what are the, what are the words and what is it about? Sure. So it starts very tongue in cheek. Uh, the meteorologist receives more letters asking about, uh, can you name the hurricane next hurricane after my cousin? Like she's a monster and like all this stuff. Like, uh, it's, it's very, uh, very silly and satirical. And then, uh, takes that dark turn to um, talk about um, ultimately um, like the horrors of suicide mm -hmm. um, and through uh, the poetry is is absolutely stunning um, the way that it transitions to that and I think that Ruby's music really um, uh, echoes that and intensifies that very well but yeah there's there's a clear contour that this piece takes. Yeah. And I, th I think dramatically it was just, you know, when you, when you hear, I think I'm paraphrasing cause I, I can't quite remember the line, but, um, it, it's, there's a, there's a kind of counterpoint between the spoken text that we hear in the electronics and the sung text from the soprano. Yes. And there's, I think there's a point where, uh, you know, like the, the name naming a hurricane and then it switches to soprano sandy hook or columbine mm -hmm. yes or like when you realize what's happening it's like whoa what what did i just hear what am i listening to you know and that dramatically i think it was very effective mm -hmm. yeah alex was um re she was recounting uh her experience of being the aunt of somebody who committed suicide. Mm. And uh, I mean, obviously that's deeply personal. And I know that, that I, I watched the relationship between Alex and Ruby and um, you know, Ruby took such good care of not only Alex's words, but Alex through that. And mm -hmm. um, it was, it was a deeply emotional project to be part of because uh, we, you know, we rehearsed it for, for Alex and then performed it, of course, for her a couple of times and, and, uh, wanted to, wanted to really cradle those, those words in a way that we so rarely have to consider as a, as a, as an, an instrumental ensemble. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so, so there, there were so many things about this, this piece and this collaboration that, uh, were just extra meaningful. One, the fact that we so rarely work in text, um, then to the nature of what the text was about and, and working with not only the composer, but also the poet, and then combining with whether it was Jared at the residency or Michael in later performances, like another saxophonist, and then also a vocalist. And so there just could not, uh, there couldn't have been more hands in this, this, this thing that was very, very much rooted in deco ensemble. Yeah. And we were so like, you know, that's one of, that's been one of the beautiful things for us in working in this group and, and helping be part of or facilitating these projects is, um, you know, like the more, the more hands involved, the more important 
the 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 work becomes. And uh, I think that that yeah, this is this was a, a uniquely uh, powerful collaboration for us. Well, let's let's listen to it. So this is uh, the meteorologist receives more letters asking by Ruby Fulton, and it is Deco Ensemble with uh, the soprano and extra saxophonist. Yeah, so this recording is a, it's a one-take uh, one live recording from Rausch Recital Hall in um, uh, Fredonia, New York, and the vocalist is Dr. Catherine Peterson, and the baritone saxophonist is Dr. Michael Hernandez. The meteorologist receives more letters asking. Please name the hurricane after my cousin, who is a force of blow-dried hair and sorrow long as fake lashes, for who crashes even parties she's invited to fold sky instead of paper airplanes. Too few people get named that. So we're all to blame for the damage. Hurricane. Don't 
places, not the people who died there. Wait till after. Fill in the lives between hyphens. Hurricane. Please call it. I'm Catholic, and when God makes me kneel at a child's funeral, it still feels like whiplash. Hurricanes. been in one Mr. Weather, it feels nothing like Floyd. Hurricane, my sister dropping dirt of my nephew's coffin. Hurricane suicide, twisting his mind into Molotov cocktails, crumpling drafts of every love, thought, don't pull the trigger. Hurricane Gabriel, annunciation trumpet blown by Jehuli, spiral dead ends and glass notes. Hurricane Cora for the empty space. Plato says form passes through into form. Like the eye of a storm, a woman's body. My sister holding carrots out for Nej to crunch and nuzzle. Hurricane, because there is no choice but to imagine the unbearable to bear it. So we've we've come to the end uh, where I asked the question that I asked all the composers and performers and artists who are on the podcast. How did you come to music as the thing that you wanted to pursue for for your lives, each of you? 
I don't know. I thought it was pretty. <laughs> I like well, there the, it like, is. the saxophone sounds. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I th- it's a decision that I make every morning, honestly. And <laughs> some if I ever decide not to do it, then I'll do something else. But um, uh, but and I always I always tell my uh my students if they're you know quite ambitious about music, uh. It's wonderful. And if there's anything else that can make you that happy, do it. <laughs> do mm-hmm. that other thing. Totally. Um, because it is a tremendous amount of it's a tremendous amount of heavy lifting. And sometimes mm-hmm. the uh the payoffs are either not obvious or not measurable, or you know, you can you can scream into the void for quite a long time. So uh, you you have to love it. I mean Oh yeah, absolutely. Like and, there's, or or you there's have to love else. it. In on days you have to love it enough to hate it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's like um, I, it's cliche, but I can't remember from where. Like you know, like the, on the days that I hate it, it's evidence that I still care deeply, mm-hmm. and um, and I I uh, yeah, you know, if uh, if there was anything else, if there was anything else that I could possibly possibly do with uh so much intention i would probably uh do that thing but this is this is the it's just inside and you know this has been the tool for uh getting it out yeah well uh before we go can you tell everyone where they can find more of your uh performances recordings where they can find you on all the socials that kind of stuff yeah, well, we're just tickled pink that you can find us now on the Adjective website under their uh, performer collaborations, decoensemble.com. Keeping in mind, that's D-E-C-H-O. Like echo with a D. Uh, ensemble.com. Uh, Facebook slash decoensemble. YouTube slash decoensemble. Subscribe to our channel. That would be great. Um, and uh, just know that if if you are a composer who's listening to this, um, or you are a saxophonist or a student composer or a student saxophonist, or if ever there's a way um, we can be helpful uh, or a resource in any way. We would love to connect with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've... Uh, we're kind of teachers first, and saxophone is our is our, our artistic outlet. So uh, we we're just we're just here for the collaboration. <laughs> well, Jake, Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.